My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We have Claire here. Thank you again so much for joining us and wanting to share your story. So first things first, let's just start with just you talking about the setup of your family and any other basic demographic information, like how many kids you have, what your home status is, what your work status is, and all that good stuff. Okay, so I am 32. Um, I have a little girl. She will be three months next week. Um, She is our only child. Um, I'm married. We got married last September. Um, And right now, I just went back to work this week. So back to working full time in the ER during COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I know part of your story was just being pregnant during all of this, obviously having the baby during all of this. And now not that things around here are really getting any much better. So that'll really be interesting to talk about. So just with all that considered, what was the transition being pregnant like for you? Um, so, I mean, we got married in September. Um, we decided to start trying for a baby in November because I had to have surgery in October. So we had to wait. Um, and we got pregnant right away. So it was great. Um, and I think around four months into my pregnancy is when COVID started. Um, cause I think it was around, it was right before I had to go for my anatomy scan. Um, so it was interesting with work. I ended up taking off for like a month and a half, um, in the beginning because there were so many unknowns about COVID and what it did to you. And, you know, we didn't have proper protective equipment at that time. Um, but once I hit where I was viable, then I did end up going back to work until the end of my pregnancy. Yeah, that had to have been really scary. I mean, it was for all of us, not to mention just not knowing like how it would affect an unborn baby. So that must have been really stressful. Yeah, I mean, it was and I talked to my husband about it. And he was like, listen, we have money saved, like do whatever you have to do. And my boss was understanding. um, So it was just, you know, I just waited until everything was kind of more safe at work. And then I decided to go back. Mm-hmm. So then once you went back, what was that like? I know at some point you were also diagnosed with preeclampsia. So just talking to us a little bit about that too. Yeah. So, um, right around, well, I went back right before, I don't know, right after like 20 weeks or so. Um, and then my pregnancy, it was fine, you know, other than morning sickness, I had a pretty easy pregnancy. Um, and then one weekend, my husband and I were just doing things around the house and I was like, Oh, I have a headache. And but I used to get migraines, so I didn't really think anything of it. Um, and then I checked my blood pressure and I was like, well, it's a little high, but I worked night shift um, when I was pregnant. So I was like, you know, I'm probably just tired. Um, and I had an OB appointment on that Monday. So I was like, I'll just wait and go see my OB. 
Um, so I went to the OB and she was like, yeah, your pressure's high, but you know, it's not terribly high at this point. So she started me on medicine. Um, and then I had to go follow up with a maternal fetal specialist. Um, and that's kind of where it started getting like more depressing in pregnancy, um, being alone during the COVID. I mean, my husband, he couldn't go to my anatomy scan. He couldn't go to any of my doctor's appointments. I mean, I really didn't even have doctor's appointments until the end. Um, we just did like Zoom video calls. Um, but when I went to go see the specialist and, you know, they did like an ultrasound and a Doppler and he was like, you know, you're preeclamptic. He's like, I think that you're going to turn into eclampsia. Um, he was like, your Doppler's bad. Your baby's small. Um, so, you know, I went from having a total normal pregnancy to now I'm high risk and, you know, I'm sitting in this doctor's office being told all this bad news by myself. Um, so going from normal pregnancy, then I had to have um, stress tests on twice a week, which we failed every time. Um, so then I always had to go to the hospital to go get scans done. Um, I had to get blood work done every week. I had to go, then I had to go see the doctor once a week. So it was, it was pretty traumatic for me going from normal to all this stuff in, in one beat. Um, and then I think it was like my second week after being diagnosed with preeclampsia. Um, then my labs came back and my liver enzymes were high. So they thought that I was developing help syndrome. Um, so, which is even, you know, more severe for anybody who doesn't know. So, um, that was definitely even more scary because then I had to go to the doctors even more and get more scans and more blood work done every week. Um, so it was, it was pretty traumatic for me. And then at 37 weeks, um, we had decided that I was going to be induced. Um, that's kind of a gold standard for preeclampsia around here. Um, and I went for a growth scan that day before I got induced and they were like, yeah, you know, it's a really good thing that you're getting induced today. Otherwise we would have said to induce you anyway, because your baby is just not growing inside of you. Like she needs to come out at this point. So that led into induction, which is a whole different story. Right. Yeah. I also was induced definitely not, you know, along those same lines of, of what you were dealing with, but it is a different, it's, it's not ideal. Um, at least it wasn't for me. And it sounds like it wasn't obviously for you too, just really, really stressful. Um, so what was the initial kind of the labor? What was your experience there? Like, what was your initial jolt into motherhood like for you? Um, again, for me, that was also pretty traumatic. I mean, I kind of had this plan, like, you know, we're going to do all natural. Um, I really didn't want an epidural. Um, and, you know, just kind of go with the flow and go with as it goes and then getting induced. So I ended up, I had an OB appointment the day before and they were like, well, you know, you're already, I was like 90% of face and two centimeters dilated. So they were like, you know, we'll start the Cervidil. So they did that. It went in on a Tuesday night at seven. They did the Cervidil. Then Wednesday morning, they checked me and they were like, um, you know, you haven't changed. So we're going to break your water and start the Pitocin. I was like, okay, you know, all you hear is horror stories about induction. Um, so they put an IV in me that we started the Pitocin and then the doctor came back like 10 hours later and she checked me and nothing changed. And she was like, I'm going in to do a C-section. She's like, when I come back, I'm going to section you if you don't change. And I was like, oh my gosh, this really isn't what I wanted. Um, and so then I realized that my IV was infiltrated, um, for anybody that doesn't know, that means that the medicine, the Pitocin was going in my tissue instead of my veins. 
Um, so once I got a new IV, then the Pitocin just kicked in and it went from like zero to a hundred in like three hours. Um, so it was, it was a 30 hour labor overall. It was long and traumatic. I was, I was not prepared for any of it at all, no matter how prepared you can be for it. And yeah, it's like, you just don't ever hear, you hear about those long labors and you hear about some things here and there, but like to actually be going through it was really awful and it was traumatic and just feeling like you have no really control of what, of what's going on. You're kind of at the mercy of life and the doctors at that point, like just doing whatever is healthy and recommended and your plan, if you had one can go out the window, which a lot of women feel really, really devastated by. Yeah, it was, it was definitely hard. And with, I mean, with COVID right now in general, like you, I mean, my husband, I was lucky that he was able to be there. Like I was like, if he can't be there, like I'm delivering at home in a swimming pool, I don't really care. Um, But we, you can't even leave your room. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we were stuck in our hospital room for five days. I was like, even prisoners get to like see the outside and leave their rooms. So, I mean, that was, that was really hard for me. Just kind of, I just felt like trapped in this room, not being able to do anything. Yeah, exactly. So you talked too, just about your baby being on restrictions right away too. I don't know if that is also kind of related to what you're saying with COVID and everything, but also that he was jaundiced or she was jaundiced, right? Yeah. So because she was, um, she was born at 37 weeks, which isn't considered a preemie, but she was only five pounds, four ounces when she was born. Um, so she was a little peanut. So she had jaundice. Um, and I delivered her on what, like a Thursday morning. It was like midnight, right after midnight. Um, so because of that, they had to do the Billy light right away. Um, so at this point, you know, we'd have already been up for four days in the hospital. Um, and you know, they had her in the Billy light, which I mean, that was, that in itself was just a terrible experience because you couldn't, you can't hold them. Like the only time that you can take them out mm-hmm. of this Billy light is just to feed, feed her. That was the only time. So I was like sitting in this hospital room, you know, like traumatized from everything. And I can't even hold my baby and just have that immediate bond with her. Um, it's just not what you expected. No, from beginning to end, none of it was. Um, And I'm the kind of person I I like to have plans for everything. So nothing going as planned was not very easy on me. But um, finally, I had this great nurse and she was like, tell them to send you home with a Billy Light, like you can have a home nurse come out. So she kind of pushed that in. And I mean, I remember by Friday night, I said to the nurse, I said, listen, I'm discharged. Um, you know, I can't spend another day here. Like if my baby's not going to get to go home tomorrow, I'm going to leave her here and I'm going to go home. Like I haven't slept in six days. Like this is, this is just insane. Like for my mental health, I cannot be here another moment. So Saturday morning, they ended up coming in and somehow, some way they got a home health nurse, um, to come out and draw her blood and they got Billy late delivered. So we had three days. I, uh, four days, I think, of her being plugged into an outlet um, at home, which was, you know, a little bit better because you could at least hold her because it just wraps around their belly. But, you know, we had to always be close to an outlet and everything. So it was, yeah. it was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just even imagining you being there, I, I remember feeling it too, but just you bringing me back there just visually, I can imagine just feeling so trapped and like, get me out of here. (laughs) I don't care at whatever cost, do whatever you got to do, but get me out of here. Yeah. I mean, I said to the nurse, I broke down. I was like, 
I, I said, you can think I'm a terrible mother, whatever you think about me. I was like, but I, I need to leave this hospital. Like I will go home. I will sleep. I will take a shower. I will come visit her in the NICU, but like, I cannot be trapped in, I can't even hold her. So there's no point on me being here. So yeah, it was, I think it was the beginning of my downward spiral with postpartum for sure. Right. I mean, just that jolt can be so one way or the other for people. Right. And it's why it's so important for me to get these stories out there because not that I want to scare women, but I want them to know that it's not always that you fall in love with your baby at first sight. And maybe you do, but there are also so many other ways that this could go and so many other experiences that you can go through and you're still a great mom. It's just not always this lovey dovey, really straightforward thing that you hear of and that you expect. And so yeah. So, so you referenced now t- two times kind of this, like it, it was the start of this downward spiral, the start of the downward spiral. So at some point you go back home and you said initially, you know, it's just difficult having to be by an outlet and all of that. What else was really indicative to you that you were kind of going down this downward spiral, especially like maybe even before or right when your husband went back to work? Yeah. So, I mean, we were home, my husband, um, I think he had like a week and a half off, which we spent a good amount of that time in the hospital. Um, and then we were home for, I think we came home on a Saturday, um, and all was well, you know, we were happy. We figured out sleep. Everything was okay. Um, and then the following Sunday he works night shift, Um, and he left to go to work and for the first couple hours I was, I was fine. You know, I made a cup of coffee. I sat on the couch, put on game of Thrones. Um, and all of a sudden out of the blue, like I just, it, I flipped a switch and I am not an anxious person. I've never been anxious. I've always maintained everything very well. And I just lost it. I went from being okay to, I literally all of a sudden I was like, I want to kill myself and I want to kill this baby. Like I, this is, you know, I just had all these intrusive thoughts, these sayings in my head, like, you know, you, you should just kill yourself. Like you can't do this. You, your baby, you know, she doesn't need to be here. She changed your life. And I remember I like, I went outside and I was freaking out because I was home alone. I was like, I don't know what the hell to do. It's one thirty in the morning. I can't call anybody. So I literally went and I sat in my shower for like two hours just to separate myself from the baby and just like kind of tell myself, you know, this is real life. Like I am breathing. This isn't a figment of my imagination. Like this is, this is how I'm really feeling. Um, So my husband got home at like 4 a.m. I think and I fell back asleep for a little bit and then I woke him up at like 11 and I was like, I don't know what happened last night, but I was like, I, you know, I said, I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to kill our child. Like I need to do something. Um, So I ended up, you know, because they never warn you about postpartum anxiety and depression and OCD. And that's why Mm -hmm. I'm raising hell right now because nobody tells you about it. And I was like, I don't even know where to reach out to for this. So I ended up finding a pamphlet that I picked up from a random ultrasound visit. um, And there was a women's emotional wellness center number in there. So I called them and, you know, I was brutally honest and, you know, they said they're typical go to the ER if you're feeling this way. And I was like, I work as an ER nurse. I know what happens. I'm going to get 302. Like, I really don't want to do that. So um, Mm -hmm. they ended up scheduling me with, I, they made me join like an IOP group. Um, 
And so I joined this IOP group, which I was, okay. you know, I was like, I'm, I want to do whatever I need to do to get better. Like this is, it's normal, but it's not normal. Um, so I did like two sessions of that. And I was like, this is not, this is not helping. Um, it was for women in general. So the group was kind of more, it was younger women who were just having issues that weren't postpartum. And I was like, this is making me feel more anxious listening to these girls' problems when they're not my problems. Um, so I stopped going to the IOP and the lady kind of gave me a hard time, but um, I, she ended up, I had an appointment with the psychiatrist like the next week, I think. Um, and so I did my appointment with her and she was fantastic. Um, and she was just like, listen, you need a mom's group. Like, you know, you need medicine. Like, we'll just get this figured out. So my family doctor had ended up prescribing me, um, medicine to start with. And then the psychiatrist adjusted it and she kind of just helped me get with a therapist and join this mom's group. So, I mean, I was lucky that I was able to find the resources, but it's, they're not easy to find and they don't, they don't tell you anything about any of this that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am glad you are raising hell because I feel the same way. And I'm so glad that I found women who are able and wanting to do it with me because like, I just feel for you. You are exactly the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing because, and why I started a mom group in my own community because postpartum OCD hit me really hard. And I have been studying and working with people who have OCD and anxiety for 10 years. So like I knew what it, I knew what was going on. I knew that it was possible. I feel like I had so much context for it and I knew how, what was going on for me. I knew what to do and all that stuff. And it still rocked me so hard. And I'm like, how do women who don't have the resources that I have go through this and like come out the other side? And so it's so important to get these resources out there because you're right. Like no one talks about it. No one <laughs> prepares you for it. And if they do at the very best case scenario, they talk to you about postpartum depression, which is obviously a huge issue and very pertinent, but anxiety and all the research that I've done is way more common. And why aren't we talking about that? <laughs> it's just so incredibly frustrating that you didn't have these resources at your disposal when you needed them, if not before you even needed them, right? It's just so incredibly Yeah, I mean, never, never once in any of my appointments did they ever say anything about it. And I mean, me being a nurse, I was, I was prepared, I was prepared for it to happen. I like you, like I knew, I knew what could happen. I knew the symptoms. So, I mean, I, luckily my husband is the same. Um, and I made him read about it before I gave birth. So when I talked to him, like I had no problem approaching him about how I was feeling. Um, and he was just like, okay, it sounds like postpartum. Like let's, let's figure this out. But I mean, if it wasn't for like us doing, you know, the research on our own, it would have never happened. And you're right. Even, I mean, I take care of patients with mental disorders all the time and it just, it rocked me so much more than I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even like, I can't, I could go on about this all day, just like the hoops that you had to go through to even get that help. So you were saying like, yeah, you buy randomness, you got this packet from an ultrasound and you went through the hoops of like having to contact this person. And you, of course, like my biggest pet peeve is like, 
like trying to explain harm intrusive thoughts about your baby to somebody who is not knowledgeable about OCD, like that's just going to make the situation a million times worse because you're right. Like you probably would have gotten taken to the ER. You probably would have been 302'd. You probably would have been evaluated and like your child would have been evaluated for like, if you were actually harming them. And that is just like the opposite of what a woman needs in that scenario. So it's like, these, we have to do better for these women. It's just, yeah, it makes me, and I mean, like you said, everybody kind of always just puts postpartum as postpartum depression. And that's what, like, I feel like I've been very open about my journey. I, you know, I have nothing to hide. Um, so I, you know, I post stuff on social media about how my experiences, um, and everybody's always like, oh yeah, postpartum depression post. And I'm like, I'm not depressed. Like, I mean, yes, I get get Mm -hmm. upset because I'm quote unquote like this and I'm going through this, but I'm not depressed and it's everybody just jumps it up to that depression and there's a whole different side to it. And yeah, when I, I mean, when I called and I, I I almost didn't want to say how I was really feeling because I knew that they were just going to be like, okay, what's your address? Like we're coming to get you. Um, I mean, I I know how the system works, unfortunately, because it's a terrible system. Um, But I mean, it's just nobody, nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about the intrusive thoughts. They don't talk about any of that if they even talk about depression. And it's a whole different can of worms that gets opened and experienced. I'm hitting the pause button quick to share with you guys a product that my family absolutely loves. Magic Spoon is a protein-packed, delicious adult version of some of our favorite childhood cereals. It's a healthy cereal that seriously tastes too good to be true. Each serving has about 11 grams of protein per serving, compared to those other cereals that only have 1 or 2 grams of protein per serving. Each serving also only contains 3 net carbs, compared to an average of 24 net carbs per serving with other cereals. Magic Spoon cereals are also grain-free, gluten-free, and free of artificial sweeteners and other funky ingredients. They have flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, honey nut, and my favorite, peanut butter. Give it a try at magicspoon.com and enter Jenna Overbaugh, one word, for free shipping on me. Happiness 100% guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like even if you are lucky enough to be given the resources about postpartum anxiety, you very rarely hear about postpartum OCD. And then to hear about postpartum OCD, you might hear about like the moms who are afraid of like accidentally dropping them down the stairs or like, I don't know, cleanliness issues or or counting or something like that. But to be open and honest about harm intrusive thoughts about your baby, that takes a lot of courage and bravery because I feel like so many women struggle with it, but very, very few women are actually able or willing to say something about it. And as a result of that, so many people feel like they're alone and and we have to speak up more. But this, but society and the, you know, mom mental health system and our healthcare system doesn't allow for that. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky. I knew that I knew that if something happens, like, you know, if I, if I, if they put me in a mental institute or anything like that, like I knew, you know, even if they called child protective services that my baby would be taken care of. I knew, you know, that my husband was here to take care of her. I knew that my parents would take care of her. I mean, for the first month, because again, nobody talks about it. So I'm like, am I going crazy? Like, am I really going to kill my child? I mean, my anxiety was so bad from these intrusive thoughts. I, I lived with my parents for the first month of my daughter being born. Like I pretty much didn't take care of her mm-hmm. because 
these thoughts were just so overwhelming. And yeah, nobody talks about the harm intrusive thoughts. It's always just, you know, like you said, dropping down the stairs, like something like that. And I'm like, I'm not worried about dropping my baby down the stairs. Like my head is telling me to, you know, shake my baby or stab her like that kind of stuff. And that first podcast that you posted about mm-hmm. anxiety and OCD, and you were the first person that I actually heard, like talk about the harm intrusive thoughts. And I just, I lost it because I was like, this is me. Nobody ever talks Aww. about this. I'm so glad. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously so sorry and so sad for your experience, but this is what the world needs. This is what moms need is women who can like get it and talk about it and become unafraid and just relentless and raise hell over it. So I'm so glad that you were able to find that resource. And I'm so mad that it took me (laughs) to make a podcast for you to, to, to know that information. Yeah. I mean, it's even going to, you know, I do, well, I, I've cut back my, my therapy recently. Um, but just, I mean, even talking with the therapist and you have to wait forever to see a psychiatrist. So it's, you know, even if, you are getting the resources, you still have to wait so long that it's, you just have to sit with these feelings of like, I'm going crazy. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to end up in jail. Like, and just then it just is a downward spiral of those thoughts. And it's, it's, it's vicious and we need to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do not stop talking about Um, it, please, because you're doing awesome. And this is going to help so many women. Um, do you mind just telling me and our, and our listeners just other ways in case they're also struggling with it? Like, how would you explain maybe some other ways that this came up in your day-to-day life? You mentioned like needing to stay with your family, um, like not being able to be around her for some time or take care of her. What are some other ways that these symptoms came up for you? Just in case anyone else out there is struggling. With I mean, I literally like after those thoughts, like, excuse my French, but they scared the shit out of me. And I was so scared just even being mm-hmm. in my own skin that I just did not want to be around her. I was scared that, you know, I was honestly going to hurt her. So I, like I said, with my husband working night shift, like I did not want to be alone with her. So every night when he would go to work, I would take her to my parents' house. I would sleep on their couch and my mom would had a pack and play in her room and my mom would get up with her and the nights where I would try to just like keep her out in the living room with me like my anxiety was so high that I couldn't I couldn't be around her I couldn't even I would feed her I would do you know the mother nurturing make sure that she got her Maslow's hierarchy of needs but that was it and even doing that was just so overwhelming and I would just crawl out of my skin just just being around her. And it was, it was a terrible feeling. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody expects to just have a baby and just love her and want to be around her. And I was like, I can't even be around my child. I have anxiety. Like I resent her for making me go through this. And I mean, that in itself just Mm -hmm. puts you down. But, um, another way that my anxiety, I don't randomly when I'm driving, I would just get these intrusive thoughts like you should just drive your car over the bridge and just kill yourself and your baby. So, I mean, I would drive like a quarter mile down the street to my parents' house and then I would I would have an anxiety attack and be like, I can't even drive. Um, and going out in public, I would have intrusive thoughts about like, I'm just going to freak out in the middle of the store. Like I got to the point where I couldn't even go to the store without my husband being with me because I was just afraid of freaking out. And I was just like, this isn't me. Like there were so many, there were so many ways that it manifested. Yeah. And I mean, you're bringing up just 
classic OCD stuff. So first of all, just for you and for other moms who are probably dealing with this right now, the issue of OCD being ego dystonic versus other thoughts that are wanted, which are ego syntonic, right? So what you're saying is you have these harm intrusive thoughts about your baby and about yourself, but you're also, you were scared of them. You were anxious about them. You did certain things to avoid having to experience those things to get away from those events happening. So that's ego dystonic, meaning it's inconsistent with your values. If those were ego syntonic, meaning they, they were consistent with your values and you wanted them, you wouldn't be actively like going out of your way to make sure that you guys were safe, right? Like those thoughts would bring you joy and excitement and curiosity. They wouldn't bring you fear and panic and darkness, right? So you're bringing up like classic OCD stuff and it's really good to hear it. I'm sad that you have to go through it. Um, but I know that you're going to be with so many other women who are also going with it too. Yeah, it's terrible. So <laughs> Like you, you mentioned kind of some failed experiences and people in the way that the system has failed you. I'm kind of curious, like, what do you feel has been? Um, so I, like I said, when, with this mom's, um, with this wellness center, this women's wellness center, um, they have a mom's group and that has been a blessing in disguise for me. Um, I mean, my best friend has been my rock, my husband, my parents have been my rock, but nobody, unless somebody has actually gone through it, I feel like no matter how much they try to be there for you, it's just not the same. Um, and I can, you know, vent to my husband and my friend and come blue in the face, but they, they haven't experienced it. They don't understand like the root of where my feelings are coming from. Um, and I think that there's nothing worse. Like I remember one day when I was at my mom's and my mom's neighbor, who was like my second mother, she came over and I was just like, I was crying to her. And I was just like, you know, like I, I said, I hate this baby. Like I, I don't want to be her mother. And you know, it's the typical line is, well, how can you feel that way? How can you not love your child? And like, there's so many things that are terrible to say to a new mother because you don't know what she's going through. Um, so I ended up, mm-hmm. they, the psychiatrist ended up hooking me up with this mom's group and it's an every other Wednesday thing. Um, it's run, it's run by my therapist that I see. Um, and we just kind of, we give suggestions of, you know, weekly topics that we want to talk about. Um, and then it's an hour and a half and it's just, it's a small group. It's only like 12 of us, of course, online right now because everything's closed. Um, and we just kind of go off whatever the topic is, whether it's body image or sex or intrusive thoughts. Um, and we all just kind of share experiences and, you know, give each other moral support and give each other like tips for how to deal with things. Um, and it's just been, it's been a saving grace for me. I look, I look forward to it because I know, you know, there's 12 other women who know exactly what I'm going through and I can tell them how I'm feeling and they actually know how I'm feeling. Um, so that it's really been great. I know it's so hard right now with COVID for moms to find mom groups. Um, and for me personally, I, well, I did your 21 day challenge. Um, I think the social, the social media (laughs) thing was really big for me. Um, you know, when I first started having these feelings, I, you know, Googled all these different mom groups and joined them all on Facebook and, it made me feel worse. Honestly. Um, I think just Mm -hmm. seeing all these women just, you know, complain about their husbands or their family support and asking 5 million questions about medicines. Like it just, it didn't, it made me feel 
worse and more down. And, um, so I ended up pretty much removing everything from social media. And I I think that's also been a saving grace. Just anybody who, you know, was happy with their baby and post all these happy pictures. And I'm like, this isn't real life. Like, I, I think that's also really, really helped. Yeah. Well, rock on. I'm so glad that you did that challenge and you took it seriously. That wasn't even, I think that was like midway too. So you must've, you must've stuck it out. So good for you. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's just something so awesome about that solidarity with other moms. Like it just makes everything so much better. I remember feeling, I still feel it now, but even especially when I was in the trenches too, it was like, how could a mom on the sidewalk who is a complete stranger understand what I'm going through more than my own husband? Like, it's one of those feelings, like you feel like the people who know you the best, like if they're not moms, they don't understand you at all anymore. Like, and they never will unless they're a mom. Um, And yeah, I remember trying to relate to moms before I became a mom and thinking like, what's the big deal? Like, what's the big shift? Like, and yeah, it's, it, it totally changes you as a person. It changes everything about you and you really need that support from other moms so that you can. Get yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing about this is that it's just been, it's been a learning experience about your, you're a whole different person, whether, you know, everybody always like made fun of me because I'm a total clean freak and they're like, you know, your house isn't going to be that way when you have a baby. And I'm like, yes, it is like I'm neurotic. And then I'm like, no, it's not like, it's disgusting. And it's just, it's a, it's a learning experience. You're a whole, you're a whole different person, whether you want to admit it or not. And whether you want to know that that's going to happen or not. Yeah. Your whole identity changes and shifts and it, I feel like two and a half years later, I'm still going through it. Like, I don't know that it ever is over. Um, so yeah. So, so I'm curious, I mean, where would you say that you're at now? You've talked about your whole experience, how things were just not at all what you expected at various different areas. You've talked about how luckily now you found some really good support. Where would you um, say that you're I, at now? Now I feel, I would say I'm probably 75% myself again. Um, I think going back to work, I really needed to go back to work for my mental health and just get out of the house and just be around adults. You know, I work all the time. So most of my coworkers are my friends. I don't really have many friends outside of work. Um, so I just went back this week and I think that it really, really helped me just to get out of the house. I, I don't carry my phone at work. So it's, you know, I didn't even have to think about the baby or anything. I could just concentrate on being myself. Um, my anxiety has definitely decreased. Um, I'm not, a am not ashamed to say that I need medication to be a better mother. Um, I it's, it's a lot of hormones. I, I mean, I know there's so many other things, but for me, it's definitely hormonal too. I noticed that when I get my period, um, my anxiety and OCD is way worse, Um, but other than that, I, I think every day is, it gets, it gets a little bit better. It gets a little bit less overwhelming The you know, the intrusive thoughts. Now I'm able to use the method that you suggested of ride, um, and just kind of not let it, I know you're such a great student (laughs) and just not let it overwhelm me. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that those things have been helpful and I'm, I should have more resources up for you. So I'm, I'm just with how pervasive of an issue that it is and 
so many people who are probably struggling with it and don't talk about it or can't talk about it um, just goes to show there are just so there's such a need for these resources. So yeah, happy to keep You've providing them. Um, and so, so what do you wish you knew? I wish, then? I wish that point, I knew really. that um, things don't always go as planned um, that, you know, my life is going to be different as much as I wanted to admit it or deny it, um, that it's a transition. I'm a whole new person. Um, and that life, life is going to change and it's, it's not going to go as planned and just to learn to be able to accept that better. I think if I prepared myself more for how wrong things could go per se, that it wouldn't have been as difficult for me. Mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself back then if you could, that I, I think point? I would tell myself that I'm a lot stronger than I think that I am. I'm the biggest person when it comes to self-doubt. Um, so to me, you know, everybody around me is always cheering me on and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that great of a job. Like, you know, so I think just kind of learning um, how strong I am and just learning that I can do this no matter how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just for having a three-month-old, mm-hmm. right? You said your daughter is yeah. three, three months. I mean, the progress that you have made just in such a, I mean, it probably feels like such a long time for you, but in the, in the time that you've been struggling with all this, like I really just have to honor where you've been and the huge roller coaster that it's been for you. And like, I'm, I'm just so glad genuinely that you're seemingly in a good place now and you're feeling more like yourself and hopefully with the reintroduction into getting back to work and feeling like yourself more and more, you'll continue to feel that way. And I'm just really glad that in three months, it's been a roller coaster, but it seems like things are on the up and up for you. And that's just amazing. Um, And really a testament to how seriously you've been taking your mental health. And I knew that I wasn't myself and I needed help. And I think that's another big thing is that Mm -hmm. women are so scared to reach out for help and they don't realize what it is and they go through these feelings for months and years. And that breaks my heart. Yeah, absolutely. So many women let so much time and not that they let so much time, they are failed by our system. And as a consequence of that, um, so much time goes by and, and it's, and it's time and it's memories and it's experiences that they can't get back. Um, so we have to do better and hopefully it gets better. Um, but last question, why do you think it is important to do and go through? So I thought about this question for a while. Um, I think that it's important to go through this. Just, I think this for me has just been, it's a learning experience. It's about getting in tune with yourself. I mean, I was never big on, you know, self-care and self-thought. And I think now more than ever, that's what's helped me, um, So I think it's, you have to go through hard things just to learn how strong you are and just to learn who you really are deep down inside. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overba and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. 
With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.